welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, good morning, Imago Day. It's good to be with you today. We are wrapping up the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 28. It, As we come to the book of Acts, uh, to the end of the book of Acts, I think one of the things that has struck me is that we often read the book of Acts. We read Pentecost and these stories of the Spirit and the miracles and the way God works. And, And I believe with all my heart that God works that way today, that the Holy Spirit is moving and healing but what we, what we don't often realize with the book of Acts is that it is written over a 30-year period. Uh, it didn't happen boom, boom, boom. And so sometimes when we read the book of Acts, we're like, why isn't it like this every day for me? And the reality is it wasn't like this every day for them. Uh, they had long stretches of life that was ordinary, long stretches of life that was difficult. And it's in the midst of the ordinary and the difficult that the gospel continues to show up and to heal and to redeem, and the kingdom of God begins to expand as Jesus sovereignly oversees that. As we come to this last section of Paul's life, I'm struck by a couple of different things. One is the fact that no matter where the gospel is, in history, in geography, at all times, the gospel shows up with opposition. There is always opposition to Jesus being Lord, King of all, and Savior. And that has been true for the 2,000 years of the church's history. It was true for Paul in Jerusalem and true for Paul in Rome, and it's true for us here today. And at the same time, in every culture, at every season, there are these windows of redemption, these places where there are opportunities to see the kingdom of God, to see its beauty and its healing, to see where the truth of God can break in and bless and heal the world, to see where redemption and reconciliation takes place through Jesus Christ and through His people that same window exists at all times and all places. And so the encouragement that the book of Acts gives us today is that we have the same God and the same message with the same spirit and the same power in conditions that are similar, though radically different. Paul the Apostle goes to Jerusalem Uh, he wants to be in Jerusalem. He wants to preach the gospel to his people. And when he's in Jerusalem, there is a mob that gets created, and essentially they arrest Paul. Paul then goes on trial. He's being accused by the Jewish people of breaking something about Moses' law. And so they take him to Roman governors. They take him to Herod, who is sort of this under-king Uh, basically got there because he paid off Rome, and they take him to him, and no one can find anything 
to accuse him of because they don't really understand the Jewish law and they don't really care if Paul broke it. But the Jews continue to attack him, and so eventually he appeals to Caesar. Now, as a Roman citizen, Paul was really the perfect apostle. He was Jewish, he was a Pharisee, he understood the Old Testament, the practices, it was his life. But he was also a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, when you feel like you are being falsely accused, you could appeal to Caesar and they would have to take you there. And so, while he's going through the court system, while he's being attacked by the Jewish leaders, he appeals to Caesar. It's interesting because he understood that part of his ministry was to preach the gospel not only to Jews and Gentiles, but also to leaders. And so we see in the last part of Acts him preaching to Felix and Festus and Herod and all of these Roman leaders with the goal that he will eventually stand before Caesar. What's interesting is both Herod, uh, the king of the Jews, the under king, the false king, and uh, Felix or Festus, one of the Roman governors, he says to him, he would have gone free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. But there is a sense that Paul is using even the prison system and the legal system to preach the gospel. And so he goes through these various trials, and then they agree that they will send him to Rome, and he will appear before Caesar. He gets a passage to Rome and goes through one of the gnarliest sea voyages. It's not like the love boat. It is a bad shipwreck. And he's at sea for a number of days, two weeks at sea. And during a nor'easter, and the boat eventually breaks apart on a sandbar, and all the lives are saved, they end up immediately on this island of Malta. As, as the indigenous people are coming to see these people who have landed on the ship from the ship, and they're building a fire, Paul reaches in to grab some wood for the fire, and a viper bites him. Like it's not going bad enough. And I don't know about you, but if I'm the Apostle Paul at this point, I'm having serious talks with Jesus. Um, I mean, I get upset if the parking's bad, let alone 14 days in a storm, shipwreck, and then you finally get to land and you get bit by a viper. Uh, immediately, the, the, the people, the locals, are very suspicious of this. They think only murderers get bit by snakes. But then when he doesn't get sick, they assume he's God. And so he has to navigate all of these things. And he eventually finds his way to Rome. And that's where I want us to pick up in Rome in Acts chapter 28, verse 17. It says three days later, after he gets to Rome and he wants to bring the Jewish leaders together, they called together the local Jewish leaders. And when they had assembled... Paul said to him, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against our customs or our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and they wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, and so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly didn't intend to bring any charge against my own people, And for this reason, I asked to see you, to talk with you. It is because 
of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea considering you. None of our people who have come from there have reported anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. This sect being the way, the, the, the Christian movement that has come from these powerful conversions of people meeting Jesus and experiencing the Holy Spirit, making them spiritually alive and forgiving their sin, and they have a courage and a boldness to witness, even though there is much persecution in many parts of, the, of their world. And so they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and he came, and even larger of numbers came to the place where he was staying. And he bears witness to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and the prophets. And he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And so Paul being a Pharisee who grew up under the teachings of the Old Testament, now through the Holy Spirit, is able to weave his way through the books of the Torah, through the prophets, and show that what the kingdom of God is and what it was going to look like as it broke in. He was also able to explain that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and he would suffer and, and be crucified, that he would raise from the dead and bring about this new creation through his resurrection life. And so he's bearing witness. This is Paul's heart. This is his passion that his own people would see the promises of God and that they have been fulfilled in Jesus. It says some were convinced by what he said and others would not believe and they disagreed among themselves and they began to leave after Paul made the final statement. And he says, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. He is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And it's a quote that is one that I think should cause great fear, in a sense, in all of us. That these are God's people who have grown so immune to God and so immune to His goodness that they no longer see God and follow Him. That the intentions of God that, that Israel, His people, would would be such a blessing to the world around them that Gentiles and the whole world would be blessed through Abraham and his people. But they began to understand that they were better than everybody else and ethnic pride creeped in. They began to see their nation as the hope of the world for them. And so they imagined a Messiah that looked nothing like Jesus, a Messiah who would come and bring political revolution and overthrow Rome. And because they had twisted the good news of the Old Testament into their own 
message that would give them comfort and security and power and control that would place them above the world around them rather than understanding that it is only by grace that they were saved. Only by grace that God chose Abraham just like by grace He chooses us. And the minute we miss grace is the minute that we begin to twist the message of Scripture and even today twist the Gospel into something that was earned by us. Was, was something that we have because we're morally better or because God likes us more because of whatever reason and we begin to lose the reality that it is by grace that we have been saved. It is a gift that we have been given. And we all stand in solidarity before the cross with every single person in the world because all have sinned, including us, and they miss that. Paul then turns to them and says, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. It is this picture of the Gospel that shows up in Paul's world and it encounters this opposition. And opposition for Paul and his world comes in a number of forms. The first is it comes in religious opposition. That the good Jewish people have understood their rules and their ways. And that has created, like I've said, an identity for them and a security for them that isn't based on God, but it's based on something they've done. And any time, whether it's in Paul's day or ours, that there is a gospel that has been twisted and you believe that you are secure because of your own goodness and your own righteousness, you become an enemy of the gospel. Which means that can happen today as well. There is religious opposition to the gospel at all times and in all places. And Paul understood that, and we need to understand that too. It is by grace that we have been saved. And that is a gift of God. There is also opposition because there are people in power who simply don't like the message. And the message is Jesus Christ is King of all. And if, if in, in the reality is they want to be king, they don't want to submit to Christ, they don't want to submit to His reign. And so when Paul is preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God breaking in, and this upside-down world that is showing up where the poor inherit the earth, not the powerful. Where the meek will be blessed. Where the spiritual zeros actually are brought into the kingdom of God. Then that world is a threat to all the other competing stories. And for Paul, that's, those stories would have come from Rome. And the utopia that Rome was supposed to bring to the world. And Paul could see through that story. A story that was made up by military might and economic power and pleasure. And he understood that no matter how much Rome continued to preach its own gospel, the good news of Rome 
that there was an issue, and the issue was that these were fallen people that were finite humans, and that that story was made up by them and for them. And that story would inevitably fail, which we know it did. And so there is opposition to our, in our world today that is similar to that. When the kingdom of God is preached and announced that says it is the first shall be last and the last shall be first, there are a lot of firsts who don't like that message. When it says the meek, the poor, the hurting, they're the ones who win in the end. There are a lot of people who don't like that message. It's important for us, I think, as Jesus' followers to not be seduced into the stories of our day so that the main story, the real story, the story that begins with thus begins with creation and ends with hallelujah, the story that we're in that brings glory to Jesus doesn't get undermined by us. And we too find our security in trying to be first and trying to be rich and trying to be king of our own world. And that message of Jesus as king of all and the message of the kingdom of God is a threat to the modern stories that you and I live within. And so it is for the early Christians, as it is for us, that we live with this alternative story that we believe is reality. And that story is the story of our King Jesus who sacrificed Himself for our sins and for the reconciling of the whole world, that His resurrection and conquering of death was the power that changed history and the world. And it's our invitation to be faithful to that story, knowing there are many competing stories that people are living in. There are also people, there's another group of people, I think, in our time and that were present in Paul's time, and that's a group of people who are, are curious. Their conversation, hearing the message of Paul, hearing the gospel, it piques their interest. They want to know more. Some of them believe and are ushered in, and, and I think in Paul's day, their wanting to know more would have a curiosity about this man Jesus that they heard about that not very long ago was crucified. Today, I think there's a lot of deconstruction that needs to happen. There are a lot of people who have just enough experience with the church or with Christianity that they're wondering, like, is that story the real thing or is that just a religious system? that is built to perpetuate its own self and to look down at others. There's a need for us as we share our faith, as we live our faith, to be gentle with that group of people, to be gracious with them, help them deconstruct those negative experiences, those stereotypes that they see 
And it's equally important that we live the real thing because we may be the only gospel that they actually come into relationship with. What that means is that these moments that we get to express our faith in the culture, things like Love Portland that have been going on for 12 years, you have been showing up and you've been loving the city. You know, you do that one-off and everybody's like, yay, good for you, right? Christians doing good things. We've seen this before. But when you do it for 12 years in a row, they're shocked. They're like, oh, you're going to keep coming back. We can actually count on you. Why would there be a group of people that would use their energy and their resources not for themselves but for, the, for others, to bless others? And our answer to that is simply that it is Jesus working through us, that it's His way of being, that we want to live that out. When you look at what God's doing through many of you through foster care, that is an alternative witness that is saying this is the real thing. We believe the kingdom of God belongs to these kids. And so you sacrifice so much of yourself to love them in the name of Jesus. That's the real deal. That's what people need to see. That's the kingdom breaking in. And so while we help people deconstruct their false experiences, we also are invited, like Paul and like the believers in Acts, to live the real thing and to speak the truth. That it is Jesus, not us, that deserves the glory for our works, for anything good that comes from us. That it's Jesus, not us. Because He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And we're simply following Him. And so just as Paul encountered these different audiences, some with great opposition because of power, some with opposition because of their religious tradition, and some who were curious, and some who believed, we find ourselves in the same place. And it really is God's invitation for us, I think, as we are coming through the book of Acts to say, what will our chapter read like? Paul, uh, Luke ends his letter here with, verse 30 through 31. He says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so what we know is that Paul was under house arrest in Rome for two years. It's during this time that he writes the prison letters, which is essentially... Galatians and Colossians and Ephesians, Philippians. He writes these letters to the people. He stays there and he continues to teach the kingdom of God and to teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're not sure if Paul appears to Caesar at this point. We know that he's released and he's released for about six or seven years where he continues to preach, and then he's arrested again, a second arrest. And at this time, he's beheaded by Nero and dies a martyr. 
It always strikes me that Luke ends the letter so abruptly. He, he encompasses 30 years of the church's life, and then he just sort of ends it with, and then he had house arrest, and he did a lot of teaching. And it stops, and you're kind of like, okay, I guess that's it. That's the church. But the truth is, for 2,000 years, we do continue this story. The story of God's people doesn't end in Acts 28. It continues. And so we're invited to live our story now. This is our time where our chapter is being written. And I think the question that comes to us is, will our chapter be a chapter about the faithfulness of God's people? Will it be about a people who were so in love with Jesus that they didn't pray for protection, they prayed for boldness? People who were so enamored with the grace that they have tasted that they were willing to risk themselves through serving and through speaking in a culture that is inhospitable to the message of Christ. Well, they see a people who practice this Jesus life in an exile of sorts, where despite the culture around them, they would listen and hear the Word of God and pay attention to the Spirit of God and they would obey Him. That they would open their homes to be hospitable to the other, to people who weren't like them in a world that is continually tribal. Would they be a people who practice generosity in a culture of radical consumer greed? Almost a militaristic consumerism. Would there be a people who practice generosity? Would there be a people who went to work not just to climb corporate ladders, but to express their gifts as given by God so that they might participate in the flourishing of all people the way God intended work to be? Would they be a people who lived a different rhythm that wasn't endlessly on, but who stopped and who rested and who played and who remembered that this is God's world and He's running it and we're not. And so they Sabbathed and they worshiped well. And I would say for the last 20 years, God has written His story among us. And while we have not been perfect on, by any imagination on those things, He has been a perfect God to us. And what that means to me is we should be continually able to trust Him more and more, not less and less. Because it is His kingdom that is breaking in in the world around us. It is His kingdom that is reaching out to the poor who are inheriting the earth. It is His kingdom that says Jesus' reign is showing up and you and I are invited to participate with Him in that reign that continues to break in and that is broken in for 2,000 years. And it is Jesus 
our King, the one who underneath His reign we bow and we submit and we say we believe that You are Lord of all things. And so more and more of our life we are handing over to You and You are transforming it into goodness, into beauty, and into Your righteousness. Things that we harbored, we're learning to forgive. Things that we've been bound by, we're being broken free of. Will we, Imago Day, write our chapter that says we are continually making Jesus more and more of our King? It has been 20 years since we started our church. That's, that's you know, two-thirds of the book of Acts time. And it has been amazing to me to see God's faithfulness to us and to see your faithfulness and the way that you have stepped up and served. But there is also a moment, I believe, that that not only should we be the faithful presence of Jesus, but as we continue to push on and grow into our existence as God's people, we are to be a prophetic witness. What, is, what do I mean by that? I mean that the stories that the culture is living into are not true. The stories of consumerism, the stories of autonomous individualism, the stories of absolute power, those are not true stories and they're destroying people. And will we be the courageous ones who speak in whatever simple, small, large capacity that God has called us to, will we speak of His beauty and His reign? Will we speak of a better story that we didn't make up but was revealed to us into the God, by the God who became us so that He might save us and reconcile us and unite us to His Father by the Holy Spirit. I believe there is so much more that God's inviting us to. And that this is a beautiful and exciting time for us to be the church. And the question simply is, will we trust Him? Will we trust Him? And if we ever question His goodness to us, we only have to look as far as this table. This table that while we were still sinning, He comes down and allows His body to be broken and His blood to be shed on a cross so that He can consume our sin and give us His righteousness. While we hated Him, He loved us. And So yeah, you can trust Him because He's proven His trustworthiness time and time again. As we come to this table today, I invite you to come and, and be forgiven. Come and receive mercy. Come and receive grace. But I also want you to come and feel invited. And invited into the mission of Jesus. And as He sent all the apostles out, He continues to send us out. 
And he says, go, go into all of Portland and make disciples in the name of teaching them to obey everything. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything Jesus taught us. And he is with us always. And so Imago Day, we don't have a missions team. We are the missions team. And God sends us now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to proclaim His gospel for His glory and demonstrate His kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You today in the name of Jesus Christ. Who God, we have no business even knowing except for your grace and your mercy and that you came after us even when we were far from you. And so God, today I pray that just as you have written our story, God, over the last 20 years, that there is a new chapter for you to write. And so God, would you come by your Spirit and Fulfill the prayer that was prayed in Acts chapter 4. Would you give us boldness and courage to speak about your salvation, Jesus? Would you give us boldness and courage, God, to demonstrate your grace and mercy and justice? Would you give us boldness and courage to be faithful to you in the practices of hearing and obeying and being generous and hospitable and working for your glory, God, and resting to delight in you. Would you give us boldness and courage, God, to believe in a world of competing stories that seem, that seem so accessible to us and yet there is no utopia in them. Would you come, God, and allow your kingdom to break in, in us and through us, as the people that you have redeemed and called your own. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.